Hey, I want to welcome you. We're in this series called Breathe. And we're talking about that God wants to fill our lungs with a, a, a fresh, fresh breath of God's grace in our life. And that we are also to be a breath of fresh air to the people around us. That's, that's what God's word says. That you and I are to live our life in such a way, right, that, that when we interact with others, they would say, man, there's something different about you. That, that you would allow me to live at a, a higher level. I get a sense of, of fresh air when I'm around you. In fact, this is the way Paul put it in, in Philippians. He said this, that we are to be this breath of fresh air. That we are to go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society, providing people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Which means that when you uh, come into contact with your, your family or your workplace or your school, that people should better understand what a godly life looks like, but also what the living God looks like as well. But here's the problem. Many of us would say, well, how do I do that, Colby? Like, how do I, how, how am I supposed to be this breath of fresh air to people around me? How am I supposed to, to change the climate of the, the spaces and the places, you know, that, that I find myself in if I can't myself catch my breath? Have you ever felt that way? Like that you're gasping for air. Like that you're struggling to breathe. You're struggling to keep your head above water. You're like, how, how is this possible? And I submit to you that God's word tells us that we are able to live our life at a different level, to elevate our life to a different level so that we can live this way no matter what we face. In fact, Paul says it like this in Philippians 4.12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret. He uses the word secret. I don't think I would use that word because it's all throughout scripture. This is not really a, a, a secret uh, per se, but he says, I've learned the secret of being content. Somebody say content. Come on, content. Being content in any and every situation. He says any and every because he wanted to make sure you had no excuse that he wanted to cover all the bases. It's not like I can be content during this part of my life, but not this part of my life. He says any situation, every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in once. Now, I've learned the secret of being content in all that. How many of you would love to live a life like that? That no matter what you face, no matter what you are up against, right, that, that no matter what happens in your day, you don't have to be um, contaminated by that day. It doesn't have to define you that, yes, you will go through tough days in your life, but those tough days don't have to attach themselves to you. That doesn't have to be your story for the rest of your life, that you will walk through the fire in this life, right? But you can't come on the out, out on the other side without smelling like smoke. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you can go through the storm, but it won't cause you to drown. And Paul's saying we can live our life this way. And I would submit to you that there is an intangible power that will allow us to, to elevate our life, to be able to rise above it. And I want to talk to you about how we tap into that day, how we align ourselves, our heart with God. The Bible says that the heart is the wellspring of life. And if that's, that's true, if we want to live a life breathing in the fresh air of God's grace, right, into our life, we've got to make sure we are aligned with God. And I wanna do it by using this today. Get this thing out of here. How many of you 
have ever gone scuba diving. Anybody in this room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I love to go, I love to go diving. Um, I used to be required to, to dive with a, a past job that I have, but this right here, if you know anything about it, this is your tank. This is your oxygen tank. You know, this is where all the compressed air is in here um, in this tank, and let's just turn it on, make sure we got some air in here. Oh, that woke somebody up, didn't it? Let's go this side. Let's see what we can do over here. Yeah, you like that? But this is your tank, that's your compressed air. I mean, this is, like, you need a tank if you're going to breathe underwater, right? You better have some, some air, but also, you have this BCD, this is the vest that you wear. This allows you to establish buoyancy in the water, neutral buoyancy, this allows you to be able to, you know, fill it with air and rise to the surface. But probably, I would submit, the most important part is this regulator. Now, this is the part that attaches the air right to the vest. It also attaches the air to your, your mouthpiece so that you can breathe. And if this thing isn't on right or on well, then it will leak. Like, like you can have all the power in the world. You can have all the breath you know, in the world, but if this isn't attached right, if this isn't working right, then it will leak. Let's turn this thing on and make sure we're good. All right. I'll, I'll put it on later maybe. We'll see. But then when you can, you can fill it up, you fill the vest up, you know, make sure you can kind of rise to the surface. But here's the important part right here. You need this so you can breathe. You want to make sure that you can breathe underwater. And I would submit that sometimes we have available to us all the air, all the power in the world. But it feels like we can't, we can't breathe it in. And the reason is because our regulator is leaking. Our regulator isn't working right. I'll say it this way. How many of you would be honest and say, Colby, when we sing about how wonderful God is, how great God is, I don't always feel that way. Anybody want to say, Let's, I don't always feel that. When you tell me God is a wonder-working God, he's a miracle-working God, like I don't see that in my my life, I would submit to you that it could be because your regulator is leaking. It could be because you haven't attached this, this right. That if this is not working right, then you will always struggle for a breath. You will always struggle to, to try and breathe. If this isn't working right, then your life isn't working right. And today I wanna talk about what the, the regulator really of the Christian life is. That if it's broken, Right, then it's always going to be a, a struggle. And I don't know if you're new to this church or you're, you're new to church in general, but you should know that the God of the Bible is a God who has great plans for your life. You need to know that, that, that he has wonderful things for your, for your life. He, he formed you. He knits you together. He knows every day of your life before any of your days come to pass. He has great plans for you. However, we have some human responsibility in that equation of receiving everything that God has for us. Like if you think you're just gonna come in here and sit down and have God you know, bless you and, and you receive it all, that's just the way it is, it doesn't work that way. That we have to make sure that we are connected to the source. We have to make sure that our regulator is connected appropriately so that we can receive all the power that God has for us. And the regulator of the Christian life, one word, I want you to write it down, is worship, is worship. Worship is the connection of, of between God's power and between us experiencing God's power. 
between the, the power that's available to us and what we actually see in our life. It's called worship. This is what the Bible says, Paul tells us in Romans 12, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. All he's done for you. I wonder if, if God has done anything for anyone in this house today that you would be thankful for, the very fact that you have breath in your lungs, right? Be able to say, amen, God, thank you for what you've done in my life. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Let yourself be a holy sacrifice, the kind that's acceptable. This is truly the way to worship. Like, that's what our worship is. Here's what I know. As soon as I said, you know, we're gonna talk about worship, some of you immediately went to, oh, Colby's gonna talk about singing. He's gonna say, we have to, to sing more. And I can't sing that good. I know, I was standing next to you in worship. You, no, I'm just kidding. You sing like an angel. But worship is way more than singing. It's not just about a song. It's not just about a lyric, right? It's not just about music. According to Paul, it's the way we live our life. It's offering our life as a, a sacrifice. It's not just singing. So when I, when I wake up daily and I say, God, here's my life. Take my life again. Like, oh, I'm going to give it to you. That's worship. When I, when I try to forgive someone that's hard to forgive, you, you know those people, right? I'm, I'm submitting my will to the will of the Father. I'm offering myself as a sacrifice. That too is worship. When you go to love someone that's difficult to love, right? And you're submitting your will to God. You're sacrificing. That too is, is worship. So I say that because it is a song, but it's a lot more than a song. It's not just singing. And if you confine it to church, to singing on the weekend, if you confine uh, what worship is to just, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to sing to God, then maybe you experience something in this moment, but what about the power you need for the rest of the week? Like, what about tapping into the power when you need it the most, when you, when you face you know, the issues that you're up against Monday through, through Saturday in your, your life? Like, if you confine it to when the lights are on and the, the band is out and there's that moment, I really, I really feel God in that, that moment, the bass is thumping, then I would submit that the rest of the week you're, go, you're going to be weak. Your regulator isn't going to be working. You're not gonna experience optimum level in your life because it's more than a song. It's a lifestyle. Let me say it this way. If you wanna jot this down, it's not gonna be up on the screen, but worship is simply you expressing your love to God. That's what it is. It's expressing your love. It's expressing your, your, your life to God. So it aligns our heart with God's heart. How many of you know when you express your love to someone, you need to express it to them in the way that they receive it? You know what I'm talking about? We're, this is gonna be a little relationship uh, talk with Pastor Colby. Relationship 101 going on right here, all right? Like, everybody receives love differently. And if you're gonna express your love to someone, you express it to them, not in the way that you receive it, but in the way that they receive it, right? So, so like uh, maybe you, you're, the way you receive love is through gifts. There's a book called The Five Love Languages. Maybe it's through gifts. Like when you receive gifts or give gifts, you feel like you are, you are loved. I can pretty much say for every guy in the room, the way you receive love is through physical touch. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys are like, honey, take notes right now. Write this down. You've never taken a note in church. Write this down right now. Like through physical touch. For, for other people, it's words of affirmation. 
Right, if you, you just give me a, a thata boy, you just pat me on the back, you just look me in the eye and tell me, you know, I did a good job or, or encourage me or, or tell me I'm wonderful, then, then, then that's the way I, I, I receive love. So everyone is different. Everyone receives it differently. So if you are giving love the way that you receive love, right, you might be speaking a different language from the person that you're trying to give love to. They don't even understand that. And I say that because it's some of the simple uh, relationship things that, that I counsel, you know, with people. I have people come into my office and say, she lo- I love her. She knows I love her. I bought her tires the other day. She knows I love her. <laughs> or I got her tires. I got her oil changed. Those tires were 80,000-mile treads on those suckers, you know. I, she knows I love her. And she's like, I didn't want that. I wanted, I wanted a nice dinner maybe. I, I, wanted, I wanted a card out of the blue, not on our anniversary. Come on, ladies, I'm preaching the truth right now, right? Like you didn't want that. Uh, or, or she said, he knows I love him. Like I tell him I love him. And we snuggle together. He's like, I don't want to snuggle. Like I want to move past snuggling. I want to go around the bases, all right? I'm helping out both sides today, okay? So everyone gives love, receives love differently. And I say that if, if you're going to give love to someone, you better do it the way that they receive it. Did you know that God receives love a specific way? Did you know there is a way that God likes to be loved? That God likes to be, God likes to be worshiped? That your worship isn't about you, isn't about you singing, it isn't about you coming into this, this place, it's all about him? It's all about what he's done for you? So just like in a relationship, expressing love isn't about what makes you feel loved, it's about what, what makes the other person feel loved? I say that to say, if I'm gonna worship God in the way that, that makes him feel loved, then I gotta do some things. Why, why is it that we sing? Because God likes it. And he loves it. He loves to hear you sing. He loves, he loves to, when the, the book of Psalms is all about these songs that are lifted up to God. It's because he likes to be worshiped in that way. Why do we lift our hands in worship? Because he likes it. Because he tells us over and over, hey, lift holy hands in the sanctuary, right? Worship me in that way. And the pushback from a lot of people is that, well, that's not me. Kobe, that's not me. I'm not really an emotional person. Well, first of all, you're not being 100% honest when you say that. Have someone mess with your kids and you'll get emotional real quick. You know what you? You know what I'm saying? Have someone hurt someone in your family, you get emotional. You got all kinds of emotion, you know, running through you at that point. So don't tell me you're not emotional. Have, your, have your, your favorite sports team actually win a game. You'll be lifting your hands in worship, right? Like I'm not gonna name names in this sports region, you know, what team that is, but have them actually win. So why do we lift our hands in worship? Because God likes it. Not because you like it, but because God likes it. Why do we lift a shout of victory? Because God likes it. It's the way he wants to be worshiped. He worships out. That's how we worship. So if you want to tap into the power of God in your life, you want to make sure that you're receiving, that your regulator is at optimal level, then we have to worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped. And worship really is access to the power that he has for us. Honestly, it's this divine exchange. It's not just you breathing out, not you just breathing out, but in our worship, God deposits something in us. That God wants to put something in our life too. It's the way we get breath back in our lungs. 
And so I wanna talk about that for a few minutes, about how we can fill our lungs with the, the power of God in our, our life. How many of you know that uh, when, you, when someone expresses love to you, the way that you like to receive it, that, that you love it, that you want to do something for that person? Let me say it this way. Whenever my boys would uh, come up to me and say, you know, hey, Dad, you know, I love you, and it's just out of the blue, or they want to get in your bed and snuggle with you, like, I'm, my first reaction is, like, what do you want? You know, what are you looking for? You need some money. Tell me what's going on. But if they say, no, Dad, I just love you, like, and I don't want to paint a picture. That's not what it's like in the Atkins house all the time, all right? I can count on one hand, like, in 14 years, how many times my boys have done this, but whenever they do, they don't want anything in return. They're just telling me how much they love me. You know what it does? It moves my heart to be like, what can I do for you? Like, I just want to bless you. I want to do something. I'll give you money. You know, what, what, what do you need from me, right? Doesn't it move your heart? Like, God, God thinks the same way about you. Whenever his children come to him and worship him and love him the way that he receives love, I think it moves his heart. I think it causes him to move on your behalf. I think when we do that, it says, he says, what can I do in their life? What battle can I fight on their behalf? Right? What, what, what enemy can I overcome in their life? What, what thing can I do for them? What, what is overwhelming them that I can overcome in their life? When we worship God, like the way that he, he wants to be worshiped, it moves his hand in our life. And now you're, what you're facing might not change in that moment, but your perspective does, where your focus does. Because here's the reality of life, and I don't wanna discourage you, and those of you that have lived any amount of life, you know this, you're gonna go through tough days. Like, doesn't it seem like life is this, this cycle and the, the, the sooner you understand the cycle, the better you are to manage it and be equipped for it. But it seems like it's this cycle of you're either um, going into a battle or you're in the middle of a battle or you're winning the battle. And I say winning the battle because I believe we're on the winning side in Christ Jesus, all right? But it seems like, right, it's this cycle. It's all, constantly we're either going into it, we're right in the middle of it, or, or, we're, or we're winning it. It's a cycle that we have to learn to, to use the tools that God has given us to be able to fly above it at a higher level. And worship really is that tool that we can access the heart of God and that God breathes fresh air back into our life. Now, I wanna share with you a story in the Old Testament of a guy named King Jehoshaphat. If you have your Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, that's where we're going to be. Uh, and at this, this season in his life, he is the, the king of Judah. The nation of Israel has been split uh, but he's the king of Judah, and this army is coming against him. In fact, it's armies. It's, it's multiple armies. They don't know what to do. They are outgunned. They are outmanned. They are outmatched on, on every side. And so I want you to see, like, the, the first thing that Jehoshaphat does whenever he's faced with a, a difficult situation, Second Chronicles 20, verse 4, says, The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. I think a lot of times our first response whenever we are faced with a difficulty or a challenge isn't to go to God first. A lot of times it's to, to go to other people or, or who are we connected to or maybe it's to go to your bank account. What does my bank account say that I can do in this situation? But I would propose that our first response should always be to go to God first, to seek him first, good or bad, seek him 
first? How would it change your life if that was your default response? To seek God first, not, not to seek God as your last, last ditch effort, right? Because you'll hear people say, well, I've done everything I know how to do. Now all I can do is pray. No, you should have started with that. Like, let's start there. Let's, let's seek God first. Because the inference in this text is that they're saying, God, we don't have an answer. Like, we don't know what to do. We don't have the resources. We certainly don't have the army. You know, we certainly don't know what to do in this situation. We don't have the, the network. We don't have the intellect, you know, to, to manage it. So we're going to, to seek you. And I think we get really good at seeking God when times are tough. But what about when they're going well? What about when you have margin in the bank? What about when your, your health is good? Do you see God just as much in, in those moments? Can anybody say, God, I need you, like good or bad? Like I'm desperate for you uh, and I'm completely dependent on you in every situation of my life. I just want you to see they sought God first and then skip down a little bit. Jehoshaphat prays this prayer over the people and I won't read it, but he starts to recount the ways God has been faithful. He starts to say, you know, God, you've, you've done this for us and you've done that for us and you've, you've delivered us. And he begins to thank God for all the ways that he's been faithful, you know, in their past. And then he starts to recount all the ways they have been obedient as if to say, God, you asked us to do this and we did it. You asked us to, to take this step and move here and do that and we did it. And then he says, and so now we're here facing, you know, this army against us. Now we find ourselves in this, this situation. It says this in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Multiple armies again. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And listen to this last sentence. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I wonder if you've ever been in that situation where you say, God, I have no idea what to do. I don't know what step to take. I don't even know what direction to go, but my eyes are on you. If you haven't done that yet, you will. There will come those days where you say, God, I don't know what to do in this relationship, but my eyes are on you. Like, I don't know what to do in this parenting situation with this child who is far from you, God, but my eyes are on you. I don't know what to do in, in this 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 financial pit that I find myself in. I feel like I'm, I'm drowning, but my eyes are on you. He fixed his eyes on God and what they were up against. And I say that because we come to a place where our, our ingenuity and our intellect and our resources and our own ability are not going to solve what we are facing. You're gonna have that day where you don't know what to do, but you fix your eyes on God. And I'm not trying to, uh, make you depressed, you know, uh, you'd say, Colby, how, you know, I wish you'd be a little bit more positive. I'm positive you're going to have that day, right? Come into your life. And I promise I won't leave you depressed. I'm, I'm going to leave us up ready for another week. But I'm just, I'm just warning us because I don't want us, any of us to be ignorant to the, the fact that there's going to come some stuff in this life where the answer isn't black and white. It's not. Like, I wish it was that easy if you'd come into my office and say, Colby, this is what I'm going through. And I'd be like, I got a verse for that. Psalm 37, you know, read it. That's going to answer your problem. But there is not a chapter and verse for everything that you face. Did you know that? Like, we have a collective understanding through God's word of, of his heart 
and wisdom, you know, for living this life, but there is not a chapter and verse for everything that you face in this life. And so you're gonna have situations like Jehoshaphat where you say, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes, that's the key, but our eyes are fixed on you. They're on you. Anybody ever remember being a kid and somebody like took something away from you? Uh, this is when you're really little and you just lost it. Or maybe if you're a parent and you have little ones, like if you're, you know, your siblings are, are, your kids are fighting with one another and they stole like a, a, a Hot Wheel or they stole their bike or something. I don't mean like stole, stole. I mean like just t- took it from them, started riding it. Like all of a sudden the waterworks just started flowing, right? Just, and they couldn't control it. Or a baby, you know, gets his pacifier snatched from him or whatever it is, he just starts bawling. Um, whenever my kids would, would do that, they get to that place where they're just like bawling, they're crying. Uh, Chris and I, we call it uh, the point of no return because they can't even contain themselves anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Where they can't even breathe, they're like, <laughs> and they're just like coughing and they're just crying and they're just, they can't even catch their breath. They're like hyperventilating. Some of you are like, I did that this week. Is there a problem with that? Yeah, you should stop that, all right? But they're just like, <laughs> and this, you know, they just can't even get out any words. And you'd be like, what's wrong, what's wrong? (laughs) Park. (laughs) That's the way it happens in my house because usually Park is the instigator of everything. And so, but my wife was so great in those situations, like when they couldn't breathe and they're just like hyperventilating and just snot is pouring out. She'd grab them by the face and she would look them in the eyes. She'd say, look at me in the eye. Look at me in the eye. Take a deep breath in and breathe out. And they'd be like, You know, all that kind of stuff, just, they just still were kind of, but eventually, eventually, right, they would calm down. Eventually, their, their breathing would start to slow down a little bit, and it wouldn't necessarily change the situation. It wouldn't change what, you know, Park had did to them, you know, at all, but it changed what they were focused on. It changed what they were set on with what they were fixed on. And I say that because many of us, uh, we're able to hold our emotions in. A lot of us aren't gonna show up to work, you know, on Monday going, (gasps) good morning. And we're not gonna do that probably. But there are things in your life that make you feel the same way inside. Like you can't breathe, like you're hyperventilating. And I need to tell you this because what worship is, it's, it's allowing God to grab you by the face and to look you in the eye and say, just breathe, just breathe. Come on, just breathe in, just, just breathe out and fix your eyes on him, not on what you're up against. See, when my wife would do that, my boys knew that mommy or daddy was a lot bigger than that thing that they were facing. And what you realize in your worship is that God is a lot bigger than whatever it is that you are going through when you fix your eyes on him, on him alone. And that's what we learn in scripture. Jehoshaphat said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. And in verse 15, he he prays this prayer and then God gives him this this message. And this is what God says through, through a messenger. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Underline this, highlight this, for the battle is not yours, it's God's. Some of you need to write that down. You need to commit that to memory. 
is not yours, it's God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. So he says, the battle's not yours, it's God's. March against them. Take up positions. Don't miss those two. We're going to come back to that. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Then verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed down. He just bowed down before God. He started worshiping God with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in, what's that word? Worship. They worshiped him before the Lord. Then some, some of the Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice. Your version might say, with a shout. They shouted to God. They bowed down to God. They worshiped God in that moment. The, the, the first part of this text says that the word of the Lord came to the people and it said, the battle is not yours, it's God's. And that is critically important for a lot of us to understand because if we don't get this, you're gonna end up fighting battles that you were never meant to fight. You're gonna end up fighting things that you don't have the power to fight that you were never meant to handle in this life. The warfare of our lives, let me say this, there, we do have a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan, he's the devil, right? He wants nothing, he's got bad plans for your life. I'm not the guy, though, that believes that, that the devil is behind every rock and behind every bush. Like, I don't, I don't drive my car and run out of gas and go, the devil is a liar. You know, I don't do that, all right? I was an idiot. I should have stopped earlier, and I should have filled up my gas tank, right? Don't be that person. Don't be the person that says, you know, I, I fell down the steps. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You're clumsy. Wear different shoes. I, I don't know what, what the problem is. You know, don't go, you know, I miss a, a mortgage payment, and the devil's got, you know, the devil's out to get me. No, spend less than you make. Give you know, save, live on the rest kind of thing. So I'm not that person. Don't, don't be that person that thinks the devil is, is behind every rock. But the Bible says there is an enemy of our soul. That he, he wants nothing but to kill, steal, and destroy. But a lot of times we get this confused. That we think our battle is against him. We think the enemy is out, out to get us. But we are not the target of the enemy. You should know that. The enemy is not out to, to get us. The enemy is out to hurt God the Father. And the way that he does it is by hurting what God loves the most, which is us. Because he, he couldn't kill God. He tried on Calvary, right? But Jesus got up three days later proving he was who he says he was. And so don't get confused. So when he says the battle's not yours, it's mine, that's accurate. It's not yours. It is God's in that moment. But if we don't understand that, if we don't understand who owns the outcome of those battles that we face, then we will forever be fighting the wrong battle in this life. Here's what I want you to write down. God owns the outcome. We own obedience. Our, God's part is, is the outcome. Let him handle that. Let him take, take care of that. Our part is to obey. And if we don't understand that, then we'll get into a situation where we try to manipulate the outcome where we try to manage it, where we try to orchestrate it, we'll, we'll do this and we'll do, do that, when God's saying, no, stop. Like, I got this. 
Your part is obedience. You be obedient. You do the, you keep doing the thing, the last thing that you knew I called you to do. You be obedient. You obey. My part is this battle. I take care of the outcome. And if you just get out of my way, then I would fight this battle for you. You just remain obedient. And here's what I think is interesting in this text. The Bible says that God told them to go down and to march. To go down, take up your position, kind of your your fighting position. In verse 16 and verse 17, it says that. And the first time I read it, I thought, well, that seems like a contradiction. Because on one hand, he's saying, hey, the battle's mine. I got this, but you gotta march. The battle's mine, I got this, but you need to go down and take up your, your position. So it seems to be, Right, this contradiction that God is saying, I'm gonna fight it, I got it, but you've gotta march and take up your position. And it is a contradiction if we think of the battles that we face in life like the, the, the military would think of the battles that they face in life. But God is saying, if you understand what worship is, and you understand that worship really is warfare, it's an act of warfare, then he wasn't saying, hey, go down and march and face your enemy with swords and spears and shields. He was saying, don't do that. You go down and face this enemy with the weapon that I have given you. And the weapon that I have given you is worship. Like you worship me. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Worship is a weapon that you have in your arsenal against the battles that you face in this life. Come on. Like it's available to you. Because the first thing he said, he said, you know, uh, he told them to go down and what did they do? They worshiped. You, You go down, the battle is not yours, it's mine. And they worshiped. They bowed down. They lifted up a shout. They fell at his feet because why did they do that? Why did they lift up a shout? Why did they fall down? It's because it's the kind of worship that God likes. And it's the kind of worship that gets the attention of, of heaven. Uh, I don't know if, if you're a parent, you'll understand this. I don't mean to exclude all the people that aren't parents, but parents, you'll get this. Like, have you ever had a child cry? And, and there's a couple different cries. Um, one cry is, you know, it's just kind of like a frustrated cry. They're fussing. The other cry, you know, it's like a hurting cry. You know what I'm talking about? So you could be in the one room, like, doing something, and then you hear your child cry, and you stop for a second, and you think, all right, well, that's just a fuss cry. You know, they're just frustrated, that's fine, and you go back to doing what you were doing, you just let them cry. Come on, be honest. Child services isn't here, it's okay. (laughs) Like, you just let them cry. But then there's another cry. When you hear that cry, you know immediately something's wrong. And something starts to well up with inside of you, right? And you run into that room, and you're like, where's my child, where's my child that's crying? I'm gonna kill any of my other children that did that to my child, that's what I do. Like, why why is he crying? And you pick him up, you snatch him up. Why? Because it was a different kind of cry. It was a cry that got your attention. Can I tell you something? There is a cry that you let out that stops all of heaven in its tracks. And God says, that's not just a complaining cry. That's not just a frustrated cry. That is a desperation cry where they need me to do something in their life. He says, if you worship me that way, like if you lift up a shout, it's a 911 to heaven where it causes the, the hand of God to move in your life. But a lot of times we think it's ridiculous to do. If we think that's ridiculous, well, I'm not gonna worship that way, then we're forever gonna have a, a weak regulator. And you will forever sit in the pain that you go through in your life when the power of God is available to you. 
that it's there. It's accessible. And you'll just say things like, you know what, I'm not going to worship God that way. It's ridiculous. I'm not going to pour out my heart to God. That, you know, I'm just, I, I got this on my own. Or you'll sit there and think, well, God didn't show up for me. He didn't do it for me. You know, he's not there. Yes, he is. He was there all along. You just never accessed it through worship, through the way that God loves to be, to be worshipped, the way he, he receives it. I, I think we have to learn to get a, a not yet worship in our life. You know what I'm talking about? A not yet worship. Did you notice that they bowed down before they ever saw a victory? Like they bowed down before they ever even went to battle. They, they stood up, they, they shouted, they lifted a praise before they even saw the battle won. You've got to learn to get this not yet kind of worship inside of you. The kind of worship that goes, all right, I've prayed for it, God, and I haven't seen it yet, but I know you're a good God and you're gonna come through. Come on. God, I've prayed for you to, to bring my child back to you and he hasn't come back yet, but I'm gonna worship you before like it's already happened. I've prayed for healing and it hasn't happened yet. You gotta learn to get this not yet worship inside of your heart. And here's what I would even say. Like, I don't even think you even see the breakthrough that you're looking for, you're asking for until you learn to worship before the breakthrough. Until you learn to worship to get this, this, this not yet worship deep down inside of you before God. It's the kind of worship that gets a hold of heaven. It's the kind of worship that causes the hand of God to move in your life. I want, I'm gonna wrap up with this. Verse 20, keep reading. It says this, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. Watch this, verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord. See, I love that. I love that it says that he appointed the men to sing. I think there's something powerful when the men of the house begin to sing. When the men of the house begin to, to lift their voices. Colby, why do you think it says the appointed men? Uh, here's why I believe, I think, because as men, we're prone to pride. And worship really is the death of pride. Like God says, you, you know, if, I, if you worship me, I'm gonna kill that, that, that pride. I, I, can't, I can't pour out blessings until I've dealt with that pride that's in your life. So I love the fact that he says he's appointed the men to worship. His, the Bible says his glory doesn't show up where pride exists. And so he appointed men to worship, to sing to the Lord, praise for him, for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So not only did they worship before the battle, but they worshiped God on the way to the battle. Get this picture straight. They're headed to, to fight this army and they don't really know the outcome, but they know that there are three armies coming against them, that they are outmanned, outgunned, but they worship God before it. They worship the God on the way to it. And I would submit that Sometimes we can even worship God before the battles that we face, but can you worship God as you're marching towards it and they're marching towards you? Because they're worshiping. They're worshiping through it. And then look what the Bible says happened, verse 22. As they began to sing, as they began to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. They were defeated, right? It's awesome. 
if you read the whole text, what happens is God, God confused them. He threw the enemy armies into confusion. They started killing one another. They started attacking each other while the whole time Israel was up on the mountain worshiping God, hands raised, laying a shout to the Lord because it's the kind of worship that moves the heart of God. What if, what if they said, this is ridiculous? Why should we worship this way? Why should we shout? Why should we yell? We're facing this vast army that has us outmanned, outgunned. Like we should be down there fighting. We should be down there doing everything that we can. You know, if they would have fought the battle that way, they would have been destroyed. But instead they said, this battle, this battle does not belong to us. This battle is, is the Lord. God owns the outcome, we own obedience. And so we're gonna stand here and worship God and give everything to God. We're gonna make sure that our regulator is connected to the source so we can lift up our praise the way he receives praise, the way he wants it, that moves his heart to send blessings in our life. Come on, stand to your feet, stand to your feet if you're not. We're not leaving yet, but what I want us to do is worship that way. I don't know what battle you're facing today. I don't know what you're, you're up against, but I know that if you will take your eyes and you will fix it on God instead of that battle, if you will learn to, to worship Him before the battle, worship Him. See, I thought about leaving it there. Just saying God defeated the enemies in their life. The, the victory belonged to the Lord. That God showed up like he said he would. But if I left it there, I wouldn't be giving you the full story. Because there's a, a part that comes after that. I want you to look at real quick in verse 26. It says that on the fourth day, somebody say fourth day. Fourth day, they gathered in the valley of blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked God. They worshiped God there. And it is still called the Valley of Blessing today. On the fourth day, and where are the other three days? You know what was going on those other three days? You know the Bible tells us they were collecting all the spoils of war. They were plundering everything that the enemy had left, all the food resources, all the material resources. In fact, God had blessed them greater there than he ever had before. This is what I want you to know, that that valley that they looked like was, they were headed towards their death, ended up being the valley of greater blessing than they had ever experienced in their life. And for some of you, that valley that you're facing, that you think you will certainly die, could end up being the very thing God uses to bless you greater than you could ever imagine. Come on, lift up a shout. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there will be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to fueling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.